0: You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Into the book of Ephesians, I've been sharing with you as we get into the book. Ephesians is... Has been called by many commentators uh, the treasure house of the Word of God. Again, not as though the rest of the Bible doesn't have treasure in it, uh, as equal uh, and as good as Ephesians. But it's like God says, Can I just open a window for you? And would you just kind of stick your head inside this window? Can I just show you all the things that I have for you? And if you can remember these first couple of chapters that we are going through, um, they're real doctrinal. They're just kind of real straightforward word of God. This is, this is what I have done for you. And then you take the last half of the book and God says, now knowing all those things, here's what I expect of you. And here's how you're to live that out. And we're going to be, I'm really anxious to get into uh, chapter three and make it a very practical uh, application to the Christian's life. But it's not as though just the doctrine that we're going to be reading about today is boring. I, I've never, I told Yvette last night, I, <clears throat> we were getting ready for bed, and I had sat down one last time to review my message for today. And, and I, I was coming to bed, and I'm like, I'm so excited about this message tomorrow. And um, uh, just basically for what it says and what God has done for us, it's so good when you realize, guys, where we were to where we are today. Um, the person I like to use the most when I'm referencing something like that is a man named Wes Windland. Does anybody remember Yellow Van Wes Windland? Let me see let me see your hands. Yeah, Wes drove around with about 122 Bible verses on the outside of his van. <clears throat> Wes was on fire for the Lord, still is on fire for the Lord. Um, He was an old alcoholic, and I mean of the worst kind, closed the bars down, um, probably got kicked out of a bunch of them, and him and his wife were in the bars and living that kind of, that was their life, and loved it, until a man kept telling him about uh, a Savior who could save him from all of his wicked sins, and Wes would cuss him out and send him away, I don't want nothing to do with here, I don't want to hear that, and I don't know how long this went on. Finally, God got into that man's heart and began to listen to what the man was saying to him. I wish I could remember the friend that led him to Christ. But the day Wes got saved, he said, I dropped on my knees and he said, I just started confessing every sin in the world I could think of. And he said, I had a bunch of them. And um, he said, when I got up off my knees, he said, I knew I was a changed man. So changed that his wife didn't want anything to do with him anymore, and she divorced him. If you're going to be that kind of a guy, I want nothing to do with you. But anybody remembers Wes in church, he, he played the organ, and anything that could be done, Wes would do it. He loved God. He would talk about him with tears in his eyes and would tell you what his life used to be like to where he is today. He just can't believe God would have saved someone like him. When you get into the passage today, that's exactly what God's trying to show us. It's like, can I just remind you of where you used to be and where I've brought you to today? So if you'll look with me as we get into Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to go down to verse 11 is where we're going to pick up this morning. We'll finish out the chapter. You notice how fast I'm going through Ephesians? Much faster than Matthew. I don't get a whole lot of amens about that, but i much faster than Matthew. So, uh, two, I think two messages and we're out of this one chapter. That's amazing for me. All right, chapter 2, verse 11. So, wherefore simply means, in light of what I have just said to you, wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who were called, here's a name that was given to us. <clears throat> this is really a, a title that they would place on the gentiles who are called uncircumcision and it was said with disgust by that which is called the circumcision the jews in the flesh made by hands that at that time ye here we go now listen there's this could be west Winlet's testimony in some ways and yet he's using this jewish background to help us to see it that at that time ye were without christ You remember before you got saved, guys? At that time, ye were without Christ, being, and here's how he describes us: aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, praise the Lord, I was listening to a guy preach a message. I listen to a bunch of messages as often as I can. And I was listening to some about the book of Ephesians, and this guy Said, I'm writing me a book on um, the but nows in the Bible, or but God, or uh, whatever word follows that. And this is one of those. It really is. But now. What a transition it gives to us. In Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one. So he's talking about two different groups. Obviously, it's the Jew and the Gentile. One really, really, really hated the other. The Jews could not stand the Gentiles. And he hath made both one and hath broken down. Notice this, the middle wall of partition between us. You say, well, that's a figurative wall. He's just talking about something in a figurative sense. Well, we'll talk about that. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain, or of both, uh, one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God. Guys, we were enemies to the Lord, but he's reconciled us unto God in one body. How did he do that? By the cross. Having slain "...the enmity thereby." When you slay something, it doesn't breathe anymore. It has no more life to it, and it's gone. So he slew the enmity, and all those things that were uh, standing between us and God now are gone. Verse 17, "...and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them which were nigh," or close. "...for through him we both have access, by one Spirit unto the Father." Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being, I love this wording, the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord in whom ye also are built together for, notice this, guys, we're built together as a body of believers here now for an habitation of God through the Spirit. That's um, why we are here today. We want to meet with that Spirit of God that is uh, meeting with us here this morning. And with that in mind, let me have a word of prayer and we'll get into these thoughts. God, I just will say thank you for bringing us from where we were to where we are today. Will you bless the preaching of your word? And I'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Some of us are old enough to remember these events actually happening. But from 1961 all the way up to 1989, East and West Berlin... Were separated by what we call the Great Berlin Wall. Family members were separated, and uh, anybody who was caught trying to cross over that wall and get over to maybe to see family members or whatever business they were trying to, to take care of, they were executed. East Berlin was the Soviet-occupied area, while West Berlin was formerly controlled by the Western Allies, and was entirely surrounded by the Soviet-controlled East Berlin and East Germany. West Berlin had uh, great symbolic significance during the Cold War, as it was widely considered by Westerners, us, as an island of freedom. So on June the 12th, 1987, does anybody know where I'm going with this? Familiar with the story? you got to remember this. President Ronald Reagan made his his famous speech at the Brandenburg Gate in front of two panes of bulletproof glass. And that afternoon, maybe now you'll understand where I'm going, Reagan said this in his speech, We welcome change and openness, for we believe that freedom and security go together, that the advance of human liberty can only strengthen the cause of world peace. There is one sign the Soviets can make that would be unmistakable, that would advance dramatically the cause of freedom and peace. General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, come here to this gate, Mr. Gorbachev. Open this gate, and then that famous statement Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Now, it took two years for that to happen. And it did come down. In a joyous moment, people were picking up uh, axes and mattocks and hammers and anything that they could get to tear down that wall and to be able to see families united going back and forth. It was just a joyous time. Somebody even, I don't remember if it was a missionary or somebody that... Actually, I'd lived there at one time and came back, brought me a chunk of that wall. I've got it somewhere safely stored in my office. <clears throat> but it, it, that wall was a representation, a physical representation, that we don't want anything to do with you, and we are separate from you. And it was so strong that if somebody... Uh, from the western side or from the, the, the eastern side tried to cross over there was this barrier between that soldiers were lined up all along the way and uh, set up as guards and would mow those people down but what a day of peace it was when that wall finally came down and <clears throat> to see those families uh, hugging and and seeing family members they hadn't seen for many years and in some cases was really quite a sight really it was so now a nation once divided by this one imposing wall is, uh, is one again because of the removal of the barrier that stood between them, kept them separate. It kept them two different groups. You could even say two different nations. In our text here today, Paul is reminding these Jews, and I tried to bring it out for us, uh, that these Jews and Gentiles, that there was a wall, literally, that stood between the two of them. Truly, there was uh, a physical wall. I'll describe it here in a moment. Paul talked about it here in in the passage. And one person, not with a famous speech that he spoke, but with one sacrificial act, removed that wall and united two separate uh, groups of individuals, Jew and Gentile, and brought them together in one person. And that person was in the Lord Jesus Christ, who unites everybody and removes all separation between, boy, don't miss this, between any two people or any two factions or any two groups in the entire world, Jesus Christ can remove that faction or that wall or that thing that seems to keep the Hatfields and the McCoys, remember that group, uh, separated. By the way, they reunited together as well, and the wall that used to be between them is now separated as well. So number one, let's get right into it here this morning. Paul reminds these Gentiles of their hopeless separation, how they were all divided out and away from the Jews. And you say, well, what would getting them close to the Jews and be united with the Jews have to do with making them free? Well, the Jews had the message. They had uh, the message of God. They were hiding it, and they were selfish with it. But Paul begins to remind these Gentiles of their Hopeless separation. Look with me again in verse 11. And here's how he put it to them. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past, in other words, look back into your past, Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision and the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. All right, so a little reminder there. <clears throat> so what Paul was referring to was uh, that separation, that wall that was uh, between them. If you were alive during that time and you could have gone to the temple, they called it Herod's temple. And in Herod's temple, um, there was a wall that was set up between there, If you walked into the temple, the first place you would come into is the court of the Gentiles. This was a place, obviously, where the Gentiles were allowed to come. The court of the Gentiles was a place also where the Jews could come out of their court, walk into the court of the Gentiles, and try to share the truth with them. Maybe shed a little light on these dogs, which is what they called them, um, and, and let them know about the truth and so on. But the Gentiles had become so despicable to them, that was the last thing they wanted to even do, was share truth with, uh, with those Gentiles. And that wall separated them. In some excavations and some archaeological finds, people back in that area have actually dug up portions of that wall. And on the wall, listen to what this writing was on the outside of the wall, so the Gentiles on this side could clearly read this, This writing and here's what it says no outsider shall enter the protective enclosure around the sanctuary and whoever is caught will only have himself to blame for his ensuing death in other words you cross this line it's going to cost you your life you stay over there you're just I'm not exaggerating to say this I don't think I can um, emphasize it enough you dirty, rotten, slimy dog Gentiles, stay on that side because we are the Jews and we're the chosen ones. I mean, and they could go back to any number of uh, Old Testament passages and show where God said, I have, I have chosen you. Out of all the nations, I, I have chosen you. But you and I both know that God never intended for the Jews to be the only ones to ever know the truth. And yet, that is exactly the way they looked at us, the, the Gentiles. So they, they would give this derogatory label to the Gentiles, and um, that word was uh, the uncircumcision. And you can just put the slimiest definition to uh, ugliness and filth that you want, and that's exactly what they meant when they would look at the old Gentiles. And again, they were called dogs, especially through the, the New Testament. And I've had some people tell me about their past and tell me how bad it was, Wes being one of them. Um, But listen to how bad God describes how bad it was for the Gentiles there. Well, you can look at it in verse 12 with me. At that time, first of all, ye were without Christ. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, all those promises of a future Messiah that would come and redeem God's Uh, people from this earth and set up a a kingdom. You had no promise of those covenants. Uh, Toward the end of the verse, simply having no hope and without God in the world. Now, guys, that's the most desperate situation that's ever been written in the Bible. And that was referring to you and me as as Gentiles. And God was saying, I got to get you to remember just how bad it really was for you guys. There was no hope whatsoever for you. I, I mean, you knew how the Jews wanted nothing to do with you. They had the law. They had the Word of God. Your only hope was to be found in the Word of God, and you were cut off. You had no hope in this world. I, I remember reading uh, one history book. I don't remember the people uh, who were the enemies of each other, but one army had captured uh, hundreds and even thousands of uh, their enemy and had marched them up this huge hill and at the 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 top of the hill was a cliff that dropped off hundreds of feet below and they the soldiers behind with their guns and spears or or bayonets or whatever they had at that time were driving those soldiers up that mountain and just driving them to the point that those men would just drop off three and four and five and 10 at a time and falling down this cliff It's how they would take their life and I can just imagine being a guy in the middle of that group and and uh, being shoved toward the end of the cliff and just knowing that when I look backwards the enemy is behind me when I look in front of me it's certain death and there just would be no hope that's one of the it's one of the best ways I could think of describing that was that was you and me Uh, We just had no hope in this world, and I would have to say it couldn't get any worse than this to realize that we were on our way toward uh, eternity, and when we dropped off the cliff, so to speak, and life was over, we would just be in hell forever and ever and ever. And God just reminds us of how dark a time that was. I'm just going to say, I'm so glad I'm saved today. Anybody else say, praise the Lord for what God has done for me and I, and I know Him as my Savior now and the darkness that was all around me is gone and, and the, that steep cliff, that drop-off is not to be a part of my life. And, and uh, just quickly, if I can just say it for your sake today, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you're still without hope. And, and whether you realize it or not, <clears throat> The enemy behind you is shoving you toward the end of your life. And when you drop off, friend, and it's not over a cliff where you at least hit the ground 100 feet below, it's it's a devil's hell that you'll live in forever and ever and ever. It just doesn't get any worse than that. And if I could challenge you this morning, I don't know everyone's heart here this morning. I know many of you. But if you're here today without Christ, you need to be saved. And I would challenge you to trust Christ today. But just remember and understand what he's reminding these Gentiles and these Jews of was there was a wall that literally separated two different factions of people, Jew and Gentile. You were hopeless and you were without Christ. You weren't even a part of the Jewish economy, so to speak, commonwealth and all of its promises. You were hopeless. But you know what I love about Jesus Christ He sticks a cross right down in the middle of all of that mess. Verses, we won't read through all of them again, but verse 13 to 18 starts with those words, but now in Christ Jesus. You who were sometimes, were far off, are made nigh. You've been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. You've been made a part of the group. You who were outcasts and nobody wanted you to have anything to do with them, you've been brought in now. You're, you've been made a part of, of this one body. And I, I love how God does this here. <clears throat> you ever hear a group of men that are argumentative and then they're, and uh, maybe the conversation got a little rough and then uh, dinner was served and you put a steak dinner down in front of a group of 20 men, it's going to get real quiet for about 10 minutes <laughs> because something was set down between them. And that's exactly what the cross of Jesus Christ did. With all the bickering and all the difference that two different groups had together, when Jesus Christ planted a cross in the midst of them, it stopped, it settled all of the arguments. Uh, Romans 8 and 9 actually goes into it as well. Those things that separate us are brought together by the unity of Jesus Christ. So Jesus removed what separated us, And he drew those two different groups together. I have to tell you, they did it kicking and screaming. The Jews, even after they got saved and knew that the Gentiles had gotten saved, they still couldn't hardly accept the fact that we've been made one in Christ Jesus. We weren't turned into Jews. We were turned into Christians. And they wanted to demand that we live just like them. It took took centuries to really... And in some cases, that has never been removed uh, in some of the Jews' mind, uh, that there's still these total separation between us. But the cross of Jesus Christ removed that wall that separated the Jew and the Gentile. Remember when Jesus, we were in the book of Matthew, and and chapter 5 and verse 17, He was trying to get these Pharisees and the scribes to understand. He said, "...think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets." I'm not come to destroy, but to do what? I came to fulfill the law. Consequently, the ordinances in the law that kept the Gentile separate from the Jew have now been removed. I mean, doing that took two separate groups and brought them together as one in Jesus Christ. And in verse 16, he tells us where all of that took place. Read along there in verse 16. And that he might reconcile both unto God, we all became one, in one body, where? By the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Praise the Lord. So uh, like I said before, he tells us that he slew the enmity or, the, or that hatred and the opposition toward each other. I've told you the story about Hugh Glass. Does anybody remember the story of Hugh Glass? Lord Grizzly? Anybody else remember that story? It's one of the most fantastic stories. You ought to get it and read that story. Unbelievable. Hugh Glass is out uh, on a hunting expedition, and he wandered off looking for some fruit on some trees, and he got into a, an area. He looked up, and here comes a, a mama grizzly bear, and she's in full attack mode, and he tries to pull up a gun. It gets swiped away. His knife gets swiped away, and then um, finally the bear took him down, and then somehow he was able to get back up, grabbed his knife, and he said the bear's coming at me again and he said the only thing I knew to do <clears throat> was to dive into the bear. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was think I'm doing. Yeah, just go right for the bear. That way. <laughs> but he did, he dove into the bear and gave it a bear hug. Okay, that is exactly what he did. He just put his uh, he said I squeezed it as tight as I could and held on for dear life cuz he said I figured if I was that close he couldn't get his claws on me. And he said, he was pawing my back, but he said, I was able to get my knife. And he said, I stabbed that thing over and over and over and over again. And when his buddies found him, he was laying flat on his back with the grizzly bear dead on top of him. Yeah, quite a, really it's quite a story. And, and to read how his life uh, was changed really forever. He, just have to read it. He crawled 200 miles uh on one knee and two elbows to get back to the fort just a, really a um amazing story and i'll remember why i'm telling you that story here in just a minute <clears throat> He killed the bear he slew the enemy i mean the the thing that was trying to take his life um, and almost did he was able to take it that's what jesus did for us it was worse than a grizzly bear <laughs> Jesus took the sin of the entire world and on Calvary drove his blood through the heart of my sin and slew the enmity that separated me and you from God and brought me and the Jews back together into one body, one family in the Lord Jesus Christ. I, about three weeks ago, um, me and Alfredo, Alfredo, you in here? He's back there. You go, Alfredo. We're on. We were on uh, outdoor knocking and uh, came to a door and a man comes to the door. I introduced myself. He introduced himself as Mr. Cohen. And he uh, he told me that he is um, he's a Jew and he said that I'm actually from their Aaronic uh, tribe of Levi. And he says actually I'm very close in the lineage of the priest. And he says I've not practiced it. I'm not real. I'm not real sharp in it. I, a I, I, matter of fact, I, I'm rather ignorant about it, but I'm getting back into it, and I'm studying it. And I'm trying to learn more about uh, my, my uh, Jewish religion, he said. And I, I smiled, and I said, man, that's really interesting to me, and it really is. I, I love to talk to a, a Jewish person that knows a lot about the Old Testament. He didn't know a lot about it. <clears throat> but I, brought, I, knew I, I knew I had to get Jesus in there, and I knew I was going to bring it up. And, and I said, well, Mr. Cohen, i got to tell you, uh, have you ever read about Jesus Christ? And, and, uh, and he kind of paused for a minute, dropped his head for a minute, and I jumped in there again, and I said, he's changed my life so much, and he did so much for me, and uh, I, I tried to begin to witness to him about Jesus Christ. Um, I tried to write down as much as I could remember what he said to me, but when I stopped, he looked at me, and he said something like this. He said, I can tell you this, with 100%, that is his wording for sure, with 100% certainty that I will never have anything to do with Jesus. I said, you believe in him, right? He's a true historical figure. Oh, sure. Sure, he's a historical figure like you and me, but he just gathered together a group of people to make them believe what he wanted them to believe. I thought, man, how sad and How that just when I was reading this passage here today, I realized how far away those people still really are that don't know Christ, and how far away the Jew really is from knowing the way to heaven. It was heartbreaking, to be honest. Verse 18 tells us that both of us now have access to the Father through the same Spirit of God. And through one Spirit, two different factions, and you know as well as I do, they're. they're hundreds of different factions of people in the world Um, and listen to me all those different people in the world uh, you get to a certain tribe uh, even in Africa in some places or around the world wherever you want to go many of those people are worshiping their deity but they believe that they're going to get to heaven through their deity Uh, They say, well, you believe you're going to get there through your uh, God, Jesus Christ, and, and we're going to get there through this. And the Hindu believes I can get there through any number of dozens of gods that I have. But when it's all said and done, we're all going to end up at God. Well, I'm here to tell you, if you're going to go through any other small g God other than capital Jesus Christ God, you're not getting to the same God that I'm going to. You get there through the access of the Holy Spirit of God that will direct you to only one God, and that God is Jesus Christ. There's not a Jewish path to heaven and then, a, and then also a Gentile path to get to heaven. There's only one way. Um, I've told you this years ago, but Curtis Hudson used to pastor a, pastor a large church in Atlanta, Georgia. He said, I remember one, um, one lady, I was, uh, was at their house and was trying to win her to Christ, and, uh, and he was telling her about Jesus and how he's the way to get to heaven and he said that woman looked at me and said oh brother Hudson she said getting to heaven is like going to the post office I go to the post office on this street and I wind up at the post office and, and this person over there goes on this street to come to the post office she said there's a thousand different ways to get to the post office Curtis Hudson said one of the greatest statements he said ma'am there's just one problem with that when you die, you don't go to the post office. <laughs> and there's only one way to get to heaven, and it's through Jesus Christ. It's true. So now, <laughs> Sam, you like that, right? That's a good one. So now, here's the thirdly, the great unifying. Here's where Christ brings us all together. Verses 19 to 22. That's short enough. Let's read that. Verse 19. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, remember that, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Man, that's awesome. I love that does anybody here remember the song i'm so glad i'm a part of the family of god i've been washed in the fountain cleansed by his blood i thought i'd break into singing it i actually have a note to encourage myself to do that but i don't feel impressed to do that right now I am so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I I mean that with all my heart. And that song says it best. It's just such a great little chorus. We'll have to sing that sometime. Our foundation is the truth that Jesus tried to get them to understand here. Um, It started with the Old Testament truths and continued right on through uh, those New Testament truths that are further revealed here in the New Testament. And he goes on to say that Jesus Christ is our chief cornerstone. Now, listen up, if you will. The, a chief cornerstone, back in that day especially, was uh, when you were building, a, especially a larger building, uh, they would come to a corner, and in the corners, this, the foundation stones that were being laid was extra big on the corners. And uh, as you would bring the wall in this direction, this wall would come to that chief cornerstone, and it would lay on this part of the foundation, and this wall, another separate wall altogether, would come this direction, all these little stones being laid up, uh, building up two separate walls. Both of them joined together on that one stone at that corner. It brought two separate walls joining together on one solid slab of stone. And the Bible says that's what Jesus Christ is for us. Many different factions of people coming from many different directions in life, all converging on one chief cornerstone where we are all brought together and made one in Jesus Christ. I love that. What I love about that so much is there's a lot of different factions of people in here right now. There's going to be even more so at 1.30 this afternoon. And our Spanish ministry meets over here. And lots of different kinds of factions and nationalities of people coming from all corners of the earth are gathered together in some places like this here today. And you say, we're all so very different. Well, we are until we lay on the foundation stone of Jesus Christ, where God brings us all together in Him. And those who once were all separate now are made one in Jesus Christ. You you listen to the missionaries and they say, it doesn't matter what part of the world you go to. It doesn't matter what nationality of people I meet. Whenever I meet a Christian, they all act like Christians because Jesus Christ is what lives in them and gives them life now. When you get over into the uh, the book of Revelation, Look in verse, first of all, verse 21. Verse 21 and 22, and then I'll share this with you. Verse 21 says, In whom all the building, that's us being built together in Christ, fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. Now, what's on in the inside of a, a temple it is Jesus Christ. Verse 22, or it's where you meet with God. Verse 22, In whom? Jesus Ye, are, ye also are builded together for inhabitation of God through the Spirit. So you're being built up as this place where Jesus Christ will inhabit. When you get into Revelation chapter 1, we call him John the Revelator because he's the one that gave us the book of Revelation. He sees the vision, and he sees seven golden candlesticks, and he's told what those seven candlesticks represent. They, are, they represent the seven churches of Asia, and those seven churches of Asia represent all churches of all ages. I really believe that. It even represents the churches of today, so those seven churches represent us here today. And the unique thing about those seven churches, and don't miss this, was in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, or in the middle of all those churches, was Jesus Christ himself was right in the middle of all of those churches, which was an emblem and a a symbol and an understanding for you and me today that Jesus Christ is in the midst of His church. And I believe that even while we are here this morning, I'm standing behind a pulpit. You're sitting in a pew. Different ones are in junior churches and nurseries and taking care of different ministries in our church. While all of that is going on, I believe with all my heart that God in the person of Jesus Christ is in this room with us, as, uh, with us as his habitation here today. God inhabits his people. First of all, he lives inside of me as a Christian. Secondly, he lives inside and comes and inhabits the place of worship where we gather together. And with Jesus Christ in the midst of this room here today, Jesus does what the United Nations cannot do, what the world courts cannot do, what all the counselors in this world can never do, Jesus Christ can bring together people who have been separated by religion or by anything in life that has separated, for instance, two brothers angry at one another and fighting and and, um, or two different people that are angry and, and separated, this huge wall is between them, and you say, those people will never come together again. And I will agree with you, as long as you leave Jesus Christ out of the picture, they'll always remain separate. But when you bring Jesus Christ in the middle of any controversy, Jesus Christ is the great uniter, who brings everybody together. He brings husbands and wives together. He brings uh, uh, friends that have been separated and angry at one another back together. Jesus is the great uniter today. I'm even going to challenge you this morning. If you can think of somebody in this life who you're angry at and you're separate from and, and you're thinking, I'll never have anything to do with that person ever again, Please listen to me. Jesus came down to unite us and bring us back together. He is the great uniter. I realize, first of all, we're united in him. But once we are in him, when Jesus Christ is allowed to work in people's lives, he can heal and mend broken relationships and whatever might be at work in somebody's life, God can bring that nation together. America is a divided nation. You know that. Politically, it's never been so bad as it is. You know that. And our hope is not in getting the right man in the White House or in the Senate or the House. Our hope is in elevating Jesus Christ. For if my people, which are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways... Then what I, Jesus said, I'll forgive their sin. I will heal their land. That's what God wants to do. So what's the best thing a Christian can do today is to take a stand for the things of God and live for him. So I'll ask it again. If you died today, are you listening to me? If you died today, where would you spend eternity? Are you like those soldiers on your way to the cliff? And when you drop off, you're in eternity in a a devil's hell, And if you're not saved and don't know Christ, you can know him today. And if you have somebody that God brought to mind that you know need to be brought into a right relationship with, why don't you bring Jesus Christ and the cross right back down into the middle of that circumstance and watch what Jesus can do for that relationship.